Bibles to 2 Peter chapter number 1. 2 Peter chapter number 1. Hey, Patrick, in the side room, is there a, a clipboard somewhere, a sign-up sign sheet? Could you bring that to me, please? I was going to grab it earlier, but I forgot. Man, that pastor in the first service, he went like till 9.43 today. I don't know what his problem was. He threw everything off, getting everything ready for the second service. So I don't know why he would do that. Um, so we're going to go ahead and I'm going to pass this sign sheet around. Each month, we do this differently each year. This year, the way it goes, each month we have a different thing. So we had yesterday our men's prayer breakfast yesterday. It was, this is the thing. Normally we have, if I push and push, do sign-up sheets, everything. It doesn't matter. I can have like 30 guys say they're going to come, and we always end up between 15 and 20. Always. Never more than that. I invite other churches, and we'll get to 30, 35, maybe. So I didn't invite anyone else, just ourselves. So Manny had to work over there, so I got to help with the food. And so I planned enough food for 25 people. And Caroline even was thinking, That's pro you're probably making too much food. Didn't you think that? You thought that. And so, brought the food, and then the guys just started coming, and coming, and coming. We had 34 of us, and food for 25. Yeah, so, went to Carl's Jr. really quick, and got some, their biscuits are pretty good, they're not bad, but um, got that, to, not as good as my food was, I'm sure, but we had enough food for everybody, and then Albert did a great job with the message yesterday. And then all the guys got to talk, we got to learn about, a little bit about everybody. And so I didn't even know I've got my own private pilot now in our church. And so I'm excited about that. Just kidding. I don't even, I, I, I hate planes. I, I'm, lo, I'm with you always. That's what the scripture says. So I don't know about being in the air. So, but I was interested. I learned some interesting things yesterday. And so, and then I had, I had Albert speaking different languages, too, and I don't know what he said in the different languages there, but um, he said it was something, but hopefully that's what it truly was. And so, and then Nick today, I didn't know Nick, I didn't know Nick was from there either, from Holland and that whole thing, and so it's amazing, but we had a great time. All that to say, in February, it's couples night, and so for couples night, um, it's right around Valentine's Day on February 11th, and I know, you know, what truly is Valentine's Day? It's really just a gimmick from the car companies and things to make money. And I'm sure florists were involved in it. It's a big money-making scheme for all those people. And you better do what you got to do, guys, during that time. And I'll just leave that there. But for our couples night, we're going to be meeting here February 11th, Saturday the 11th at 5. We're going to have a devotional, and then we're going to go to dinner together somewhere. And then if you want to do an activity, we're going to do bowling for an activity. So on the sign-up sheet, this is what I need. And uh, this one I have to know a little bit better because if you don't, if you sign up to go bowling, you don't go. We have to reserve it, and we'd have to pay for that. So what it comes down to is, if you're going to come to just the devotional and you want to go to dinner, then just sign up there. There's a spot to check if you're going to do the activity. And so if you're going to do all that, you can sign up there. And so I'll give it to you, and then you can just pass it back, and we'll go all around. It's interesting. This part of the room is almost, and there's plenty of extra room here. And so. But um, you guys got a little bit extra space over here. Or there's some weird smells on this side of the room today. I don't know. No, I doubt that's it. It just shifts all around at different times. Then you guys are really throwing me off being in the front row. And so the only thing I'm waiting for, Robert, I've seen you move from the back row to the front. So when you quit being a Raider fan, we'll know that there's truly been a change in your life. You're on the front row. That's a big step. Because Raider fans don't normally do that. They got to sit in the back to make sure no one's going to jump them or anything. I know, I know what the process is. 
I don't know how that works, and I'm just, I'm just teasing you this morning. Um, we're going to get into the message today. We're starting 2 Peter today, and I think you can figure out who wrote 2 Peter, right? Peter did. You guys are so smart and so on your game today. It's interesting to note, I mentioned this on Wednesday night, and on Wednesday night we're, we do a series on Bible doctrines and things, and this last week I kind of talked about how, you know, God's word's always been settled in heaven. And it's been settled, it's good to go. But man had to come to the conclusion what books should be in the Bible and what ones shouldn't. Now, not because God hadn't already figured it out, but man had to get caught up with God on all those things. And so they were talking about not including Second Peter in the canon of Scripture because it's written differently than First Peter. Now, if you look at it, I, you see all, you see, it should be in the Bible, and I'm glad it's there. And God wouldn't not have something that should be there there, and vice versa. But the difference is, from 1 Peter to 2 Peter, Peter is within a year of dying. His days are numbered. And this is like his farewell letter is what it is. And it almost is written like a man that doesn't have much time left. The first book was written to some Christians that were scattered in different places. And we'll see this, that this book was written to all Christians at that time. Something else you've got to realize that's happening here, too, is... Now, all the apostles have almost died at this point. I know John is the one that lived the longest. And maybe he's still on the island of Patmos somewhere. No, he's not, he's not still there. I'm just teasing when I say that. But all those that saw Christ firsthand in the miracles that he did, they were all passing off the scene. This is the next generation that's coming up. And so Peter does several things throughout this book to encourage, but also to get them. And really, I've told you before, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 is the theme verse, I believe, for both books. But grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That is what they're about. 1 Peter, growing in grace. 2 Peter, growing in your knowledge of God. And that's the sum of the two books. And so, as we get ready to dive in today, and we're going to look at the first four verses in a couple minutes, before we go there, I want to talk about some of the benefits we can have to studying 2 Peter. And this is a book that a lot of times, there are, I haven't heard a ton of series on this book. And we're going to take some time and go through it, but I want to give you some thoughts on how it, the benefits of studying this book. Number one, it will help us grow in our faith. It'll help us grow in our faith. The Bible tells us, 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. It will help you grow in the Lord. And that not that the whole point? We need to be growing in the Lord, right? Right? We do. We need to grow. And this book will help us grow in the Lord. Secondly, it will equip us to deal with doctrinal errors. Now, we live in a world that is, there's a lot of doctrinal errors today. And in those days there were. Listen to what Peter said, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse number 1. But there were false prophets also among the people. Even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And so 2,000 years ago, there were false prophets. And today, there are false prophets. Man, I, I, could go, I could list them for you. And 
Some, some people, some of their favorite people to listen to, I'd be very careful. I know one, I, you know, you on the internet long enough, people will take tidbits of some people's messages and make you think they're a heretic by one little line in a message. I never judge a message by one line that someone cuts out of the message. So there's this pastor, a well-known pastor, and he started a new series not too long ago. And this series, basically, the little thing that was put up said, saying the Bible says doesn't work anymore. That was his phrase that was used. And we need something, a new way of approaching it. And so that raises red flags in my mind because I don't care if the world doesn't like what the Bible says, it's still the Bible and it's right. So, but before I judged the sermon, I went and listened to the whole sermon. And we better be very careful when we're going to take the Word of God and not mention it. And I get, I get in his mind what he's trying to, I get that there. But it's a very scary road to go down to quit saying the Bible says. And that this world's not, this world's never listened to the Bible, and I don't expect them to. So we got, you got to be very careful. And this is the problem we have in Christianity today. We don't know what we believe. And so we will listen to anyone and whatever they say and think that it's Bible. Let me just say, someone can pick up any verse in this book and can teach you a wacky doctrine and give you a proof for that doctrine from the verse that they pick out of context. And there are a lot of people that will believe a lot of crazy things by the things that they hear. And the problem is, we are not grounded in the truth of God's Word. We don't know doctrine anymore. And the sad thing is, most churches today don't teach doctrine anymore. They might teach you how to be a, a good American and stand for American principles, but I don't hear a lot about Bible doctrine. What does the Bible say about salvation? What does the Bible say in these areas? And the problem is, when we don't know it, that's why we're scattered to and fro and tossed with every wind of doctrine because we don't know doctrine. And I would encourage you, learn what the Bible says and why we do what we do. Teach your children. It seems like the generation before mine, and I'm not speaking for everyone, but it seemed like my parents' generation, it was this thing, oh, the pastor says it, and I'm just going to do whatever he says. That's a bad way to live your life. I'll tell you this, I started, when I started pastoring, that's the way I started pastoring. This is the way I was taught, this is what I do. And then one day it was like, what I taught and what I do is good, but it's not here. And I had to change it. Because this book is what matters. What this book says. Not man's thoughts, not man's preferences or stand on something, but doctrine, what the Bible says. On Wednesday nights, I'm going through doctrinal issues, you need to know what you believe and why you believe it. Now, a lot of times in this room, I'm not so worried about the older, mature Christian in the room. A lot of them got that figured out. They've been there for a while. I'm worried about these generations coming up that are getting no doctrine. We need doctrine. It's important. And if you just come to church to hear our feel-good message, you'll get those every once in a while. And knowing God's love should make you feel good. If you're not living right or if you're not saved, you shouldn't feel real good when you hear about those things. 
Those sermons will come and go, but you need doctrine and to know the truth. And so, as we study this book, it will help with some doctrinal errors that are presented in our world today. Number three, it gets us ready for the return of Christ. Do you know we're living in the last days? Now, may I just remind you, we've been living in the last days since Jesus went back to heaven. So we've been living in the last days for a long time. But it gets us ready. The Bible tells us here in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 and 4, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Hey, didn't Jesus say he's coming again? Where is he if he's coming? They're going to mock it. For since the fathers fell asleep, hey, remember back Peter is gone, John is gone, Paul's gone, Moses is gone. He made this promise, where is, where is he? And it says, and all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Nothing's changed. Where's the Lord? That's what they're going to say. And verse number 10 tells us that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away in great noise, and the elements shall melt the fervent heat, the earth also and the works that therein shall be burned up. Verse number 9 says, the Lord's not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness. His promises are real. And we need to live in light of the fact that Jesus is coming again. Does your life reflect the fact that Jesus is coming again? There are many Christians that put a lot of things off and live their life and do what they want. They don't live in light of the fact that Jesus could return again. How important it is to live that way. And this book will help us with that. Then number four, and lastly, in the introduction. Some of you got, don't, some of you got your head up. He's done? No, this is all just about the book. Then we go into the four verses today. I know some of you got excited, but just relax. It will encourage us to persevere and to keep going for the Lord. Chapter 3, verse 17, second to the last verse, tells us, Ye therefore, beloved, sing ye know these things before. Beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. How, what's going to happen? Being led away by the error. That's why this book is important, that you know the truth. And that's why we're going to get into, next week is, we're going to look at some building blocks. And in order to these building blocks, you've got to take the faith that God's given to you, and you have to add this to it. Then you add this. And it's interesting the order that they go. Love is towards the end, and love matters. But if you don't get things right before that, then your love's going to be in the wrong places. And so we'll look at that, Lord willing, next week. But this book is here to help us in the day and age that we live. And I want you to understand, today, in 2023, there is doctrinal error all around us. The devil would have loved nothing more than to mess you up doctrinally and help you not keep moving forward for the Lord. And we're going to try and do our best to go through this book and see some things. So we're going to start today, verse number 1, 1 through 4. There's four verses. Simon Peter a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us. Now look there. Does it say he's given to us some things? A few things? He's given us all things. You see that? All things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, 
whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Father, I pray you'd bless the next few minutes that we have. We need you this morning. We love you, and I pray that you'd help us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we look at this passage of Scripture today, as you notice, he's starting out a letter. Now I know today we don't write letters a lot like we used to. But this letter, he opens up with who he is, like you would say, dear so-and-so. And then he talks about who he is in the introduction to his letter here. And as we see this today, just in these four verses, I see three challenges for us today in our lives as we move forward. And as we look at these, I want these to be a help to you. But if we're going to do what the Lord has for us, there are a few things we need to do and challenges the Lord gives. Number one this morning, you need to realize who you are. Now, this is the problem. In our world today, we have an identity crisis in our world today, right? We don't know who we truly are, people in this world. In fact, it's gotten so bad, people don't know if they're male or female in our world anymore. And if they don't know what they are, they just go with, you know, non-binary, whatever. They add something to the licenses now. People don't know who they are. The plumbing parts at Home Depot know who they are. Right? But we as people don't know who we are. America, you hear different sides of things, and you hear one group say, this is what America is. And you hear someone else say, this is what America is. And I'm like, I don't see America as any of those things that you're saying. We don't even know who we are as a nation anymore. We live in a world that has an identity crisis overall. But may I remind you also this morning that a lot of Christians this morning don't realize who they are today. And we don't, and you got to understand something we sang about, about this morning. I am who you say I am. If you're a child of God this morning, that's who you are. And that's why, what did, Paul, what did Paul say? He said, then walk as children of light. If you're a child of God, live like it. And the problem in Christianity is I hear all the time people come see me, like, Pastor, they'll, they'll say these things, I'm a, I'm a drunkard, I'm a fornicator, I, I'm an adulterer, I'm a liar, I'm all these things. And this is my question. Are you a child of God? Yes. Then that's who you are. God doesn't see you as the adulterer, the fornicator, the liar. God sees you as his child. And if you would look at yourself as God's child, it might help you live a different life than what you live. Yeah, you used to be the drunkard. You used to be the fornicator. But now you've been washed. You've been made clean. You've been set apart by God, and you belong to him. So live like it. So as we see Peter here, he starts out the book by realizing who he is. And it would help us today to know who we are. Well, who is Peter? Let's see, number one, letter A. We see we're all, we're sinners. What's the first word? Simon. Simon was his name before he came to Christ, right? His name got changed to Peter later, which we'll talk about in a few minutes ago. But it does us all good to remember the fact that we're sinners, Every one of us in this room is a sinner. That means there is no one perfect. That means you are going to have problems with other people in this room because we're all sinners. No one's perfect. 
But that also should stay fresh in our mind that if everyone else is a sinner, I'm also a sinner. And I shouldn't expect perfection from everyone else in my life. I should be willing to forgive them like I want them to forgive me. It goes back to the golden rule just a little bit. But we see how does he start out the book. He doesn't start out with the fact that he's an apostle. He doesn't start out the first word with the fact that he's Peter. He says, Simon. And then letter B, you see, he says, or go back to that verse for me, Joe. I'm jumping ahead of myself. I was trying to save a minute there, but this verse is good to see. Remember when the Lord came to Peter and he said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as the wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And it's interesting, it's interesting to know if you even look in the Old Testament. Remember how God changed names. He took Abram and made him Abraham. But then there's a few places where he calls him Abram. Or like, Isaac, like Jacob, Mr. Trickster. He gets made Israel, a prince with God. But then there are certain places where God calls him Jacob still. And I think part of that was just to remind, and one of, the, one of the points that I got with Jacob, and I just studied this out, and I love this fact. Jacob, he said to God, before he really started doing a lot better in his life, and I'm just glad to see what a mess they all were, because I'm a mess, and I'm glad to see that God works with messes. That's a good thing to me, because Jacob, Jacob was a mess. He was a straight-up mess. But he told God one day, hey, you can be my God if you go with me, and if you take care of me, then you can be my God. It's like he made a deal. If you're going to bless me and be good to me, you can be my God. And then later on, towards the end of his life, when Joseph is in Egypt and he hears, Jacob fears to go down to Egypt. And God comes to him. And for the first time in a long time, he doesn't call him Israel. He says, Jacob, you can go to Egypt because I'm going to go with you. I loved how, he, how Jacob was saying, you can be my God if you go with me. And it doesn't work that way with God. But when Jacob was fearful, God said, hey, Jacob, he knows our frame. He knows we're dust. He knows how we are. He said, Jacob, I'll go with you. It's okay to go. You don't got to fear. I'll get you through. We need to remember the fact that we're sinners. Simon. Simon's the one who put his foot in his mouth over and over and over again. But then not only are we sinners, but thank the Lord, let her be, that we're also saints. Now, I'm glad we don't have to be prayed to sainthood, okay? If you come to Jesus Christ, you are a saint. So when the saints go marching in, you can be in that number when the saints go marching in, if you're a child of God today. Remember the day that the Lord changed his name to Peter? Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 18. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And may I just remind you as we're going through here, that wasn't saying here, and you got, Peter means small stone, pebble. The rock that the church was built upon was not built upon Peter. It was built upon the rock of Jesus Christ being the Son of God. That's the cornerstone, that's the, cap, that's the church. That's the foundation of it, not Peter. Because if the church was built upon Peter, it would be a bigger mess than what it is today. It's only lasted and keeps moving on with imperfect people because of who the foundation is in Jesus Christ. But may, I want to remind you this morning, I want you to realize who you are. You're a sinner, but you're also a child of God. You're a saint today. 
And then we notice thirdly here that he says that he's a servant. Simon Peter, a servant. Now, he had other things he could have said. As a disciple, I'm an apostle. And he talks about being an, an apostle in a minute. But do you notice he calls himself a servant? So many Christians want everyone to serve them. And we don't realize the value of serving others. If Jesus could get down and wash the disciples' feet, and that had to have been gross. They didn't have the paving, the sidewalks we do today. That was not a pleasant job. It, the other day, our kids, they'll play in the backyard, different things, or because of our mud bowl out there, they'll come home, and William the other day had his shoes and socks off, and there's dirt every, and they're all over the floor. I'm like, dude, go wash your feet. And I literally thought, because I was thinking about this message, and I was thinking about the fact, I bet the disciples' feet were probably like this. And William, you know, he's getting to that teenage age. You can smell those feet a mile away coming in the room. But Jesus got down and he served. And this is what Peter says, I'm a servant. You don't hear people boast about that. Normally you see, well, I'm a professor, I'm this and that, I do all these things. He says, no, I'm I'm Simon Peter. I'm a servant. That's powerful right there. And who's the last person that you served and ministered to? We see the fact that we're servants today. And then we see letter D. Now, don't get carried away with this one. Because it says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. There are no more apostles today, okay? Let's make sure we understand that. To be an apostle, literally, Jesus had to call you face to face. The last known apostle was Paul. And so we are not apostles today. So I don't want you to start thinking of yourself. I know. So what about those people that call themselves apostles? I, maybe they're just having an identity crisis, or they just don't know the true doctrine behind it. And that's, I'm not going to go. And half the problem, I think, with people today is the fact that they just don't know true Bible doctrine is not the fact that they're purposely trying to, and there are those that are purposely trying to mess things up. But I think half our problem is people just don't know. But anyways, that's for another time. But as we look here, he, was, he said, so I'm Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. You're not an apostle today. But did you know you've been called by God? Isn't that, doesn't the Bible make that clear? You've been called by God. In church this morning, as we dive into the message, Peter knew who he was. He didn't have any doubt. He knew who he was. Now, did he have moments in his life where he doubted? Oh, I'm sure after he denied the Lord three times, there were some doubts. But he got to figure out here, hey, I'm Simon Peter. I'm a sinner. I'm a child of God. I'm a servant, and I've been called by God. Hey, if you could get a hold of that truth this morning, wherever you're at, whatever's going on, realize who you are. Realize the fact that you are a sinner. Because sometimes, and I, I'm probably preaching myself, sometimes, and maybe it's just me, or me, how many of you, you're really hard on yourself at times? Probably harder than anyone else. I am by far very hard on myself compared to, and it, and it probably, that's probably got deeply in the roots there. Pride's probably in the roots of that somewhere. And I, I got to fix that. I got to work on that. But I'm very hard, but at the end of the day, I'm not going to do everything perfect. I can't, I won't. If I did, I wouldn't need Jesus. So it is a good thing to be reminded of the fact that I'm a sinner. But it's also a good thing to be reminded that I'm a child of God. 
And the child of God should quit trying to be the sinner so much and be more of the child of God. And we need to realize the fact that we're servants and minister. What did Jesus come to do? He came to minister. We want to be served. When's the last time you served someone? We minister, and then we are called. So number one in my challenge today as we look here is, number one is you need to realize who you are. Number two, know your standing with God. Most people don't realize they're standing with God. Now let's look at the rest of the verse there. It says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Look at who this book is written to. To them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. So as we look here and as we think on these things, know where you stand. What's your standing with God? It's good to know who you are, but if you don't know where you stand because of who you are, it doesn't do you a lot of good to know who you are since you don't know where you stand. And I don't know if that made sense, but it made sense in my head, so I said it. And some of you might have gotten that. You say, could you repeat that? No, because I don't know how I said it, so I'm not going to try and say it again. But as we look at this, you've got to understand there are some things. We know you're standing with God. Number one, or letter A, you have obtained faith. Now, as we look at this, I'm going to break this down for you. So Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like faith. Now, that word obtain kind of has that, and when you think of obtain, it's like you, I've got it. I've obtained it. That's not quite the full meaning of the expression here. It is not you going and getting. It's a, it's been given to you and you've received it. Has the idea there of a Christmas present. You give someone a present. They could refuse the present, right? It's placed there, but it means receiving by lot is actually what the word obtain there means. So if you're given a present, it's placed out, and you have to take it. So this is not saying that we did anything to get the faith that we have. Because you've got to understand, dead things can't do things. So we are dead in our trespasses and sins. So you and I being dead in our trespasses and sins, we didn't have, I've heard people say, well, I, have, I, I put my faith in God. We don't have faith because we're dead. The faith that we're given and the grace that we're given is a gift from God. Do you realize that today? It's a gift God gives. And so this is not something, well, I've obtained and I'm special. No, God was gracious enough to put it there for you. And gracious enough to work on a dead heart, a dead spirit, convict a dead spirit of their need for salvation. As we look at this and we think about this thing, you look at it, and I love how it says, look what it says there. To them that have obtained like precious faith. The book of Jude talks about a common salvation. I'm glad that the apostles didn't receive a special faith or that someone, you know, some special people in the Lord get some special faith. No, it's a like faith. God is not a respecter of persons when it comes to his faith that he gives out. It doesn't matter what color your skin is this morning. It doesn't matter where you've been born. It doesn't matter what takes place. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. It's a like faith. It's a common faith for all of us. And praise God for that today. And I love the fact that Peter says that it's a precious faith. 
He uses the word precious six times in the two, in uh, First and Second Peter, in those books. Six times the word precious. Hey, church, you need to realize who you are, but you need to know where you stand. And it begins, first of all, by realizing that you've been given faith. You did nothing in yourselves to receive it, but it is a gift from God to us. Letter B, you have imputed righteousness. Look at what it says here. It says to them, that, and do you see how this book is written to Christians? There's not a label on who it's all written to. It just says to them, of like, it's written to Christians. So to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. You notice that phrase, through the righteous, how, how have we obtained this faith? By the good works that I do. Through the righteousness. Do you see that? Not me. Through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Now listen with me for a minute. The word imputed, it literally means to have something credited or deposited to one's account. When Adam sinned, everybody that came into the world after Adam, there was deposited sin in your account. The Bible tells us in Romans 5, verse number 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Literally, because Adam sinned, we all sin. Man, I can't wait to get to heaven and just walk by him and shake my head when I walk by him. Dude, really? And I know what he's going to be thinking. Brian, if it were you, you would have sinned sooner than I did. And I probably would have. But I'm glad it says that Adam's the one who sinned, not me. We can all blame Adam for all the, all the sin. It's all his fault. We're bringing it in. So because of that, when Brian was born in June 19th of 85, there was deposited in my account sin. That's why did you realize when you have children that it's, you don't have to teach them bad things. They know those things already. You have to train them to do good things, right? Like, have you ever had to teach a child how to be selfish? No, but you have to teach them how to share. You teach them how to share because they already know how to be selfish. Why? Because sin was deposited because of Adam. You don't have to teach them to disobey. That's natural. You have to teach them how to obey because sin was deposited. So because of Adam's sin, sin is, and you say, well, it's not fair. It's not fair what Jesus did. There's a lot of other things. It's hard for you to say something's not fair. That's a really tough thing to say. Sometimes my kids are like, that's not fair. My life's not fair. I'm like, man, I remember saying that. To, I remember my dad saying that to me. But because of sin, we've had deposited in our account sin. But the Bible tells us the fact that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, all the sins of the world were imputed to him, as stated in 1 Peter 2, verse 24. It says there, Who his own self bear our sins in his body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. So when he died on the cross, and get this, so when we obtain that precious faith, that like faith, when we put our trust in him, what takes place is we're saved. His righteousness, his righteousness already paid for all sin. You know, I've heard people say that Jesus only paid for those sins of whoever trusted in him. 
What you do when you say that, let me just help you. When you put a limit on who Jesus can forgive and the sinning can forgive, you're limiting what he did. He died for the sins of the entire world. Now, if someone doesn't want him to pay for their sins, he won't. But his sacrifice was good enough for every sin, and he paid for all sin. When he said, it is finished, it wasn't just for a few people. It was sin was finished. But if people don't receive him, that's on them. Anyways, there's more I go down that road. But when he died on the cross and when he rose again, he went to our account. He went to our account, to got rid of the sin there, and put his righteousness there. You know, you think about it, You have a bank account. And let's say, I know some people think nowadays, you know, I, have, I had someone tell me a while back, and I hope that they were teasing. I don't honestly know. But they're like, and, uh, and it was someone, their, uh, their check had bounced at church. And just if, just, if you're going to have that problem, make sure just don't put the check in the offering plate. You know, that's the best thing to do because there's a fee that the church has to pay when those things happen. So I talked to this person. They're like, well, I still had checks in my checkbook. And I'm like, I hope that they don't think just because there were checks in there that they could just write checks. And maybe, I don't know. I'm like, you got to make sure there's money for the checks that you write. But if your bank account goes negative, they don't, just don't go in there and wipe it clean and give you a bunch of money and say, hey, we, fi- we love you at the bank here. Thank you for all your years of being with us. Here's some money to fix your problem. They don't do that. They start charging you more fees and you get in a bigger hole than what you were in. God has our account. And before salvation, you could look at Brian's account and it just said sinner and sin. Jesus Christ paid all of it, and there was a day as a seven-year-old boy that I trusted Jesus Christ. And the day that that happened, God went into my account. He's like, Jesus took care of this sin. Here's my righteousness. And when God looks at me today, he doesn't see the sinner that I am. Am I still a sinner today? Yes, I am. But he doesn't see my sin. And that's where some of us, as I mentioned, those people say, well, pastor, I'm a drunkard, or I'm an adulterer, or I'm a fornicator. You've got to understand something. He doesn't see your sin. He sees his son, Jesus Christ. So quit living in the filth and in the garbage of the world and live like a child of God. Children of God shouldn't live that way. But you look at your account today, if you're a child of God, your account is clean. Just as if you never sinned, even though we sin all the time. And I don't tell you that so you can say, well, I can live as I please and I can go sin and do all this. If you truly realize what Christ has done for you and you have a relationship with him and you get, as Albert mentioned, that love affair with him yesterday, you're not going to want to hurt him and you're going to want to live for him. It's the truth. But, hey, you need to realize who you are, but you also need to know where you stand. And in standing with God... You realize the fact you've been given faith. Not only have you been given faith, you've been given righteousness that you did nothing for, that Jesus paid the price for. But let her see, we have multiplied grace and peace too. Look at, what, look at what it says there in verse number two. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, there are a lot of Christians out there that say, Pastor, I don't have much peace in my life. Do you know what I see in this verse? You want peace? You need to know who peace comes from. You look at the verse close. 
Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. Where? Through the knowledge of God. Do you see that right there? Some people are like, I just don't, I just don't feel his grace. I don't feel his peace. His peace is there. His grace is there. The problem is, and what this book is for, is to help you grow in your knowledge of God. Because if you grow in your knowledge of God, it will help you have peace in those tough times. That's so powerful and so true. Many Christians say, Pastor, I have no peace. If you don't know him, you're not going to have peace. And you say, well, I'm saved. You can be saved and not truly know much about God. That's a true statement. There's a lot, this is the thing, I've been a Christian a long time. We're going on uh, 30 years of being a Christian. I've been in church my entire life. And do you know there's a lot I still don't know about God? A lot. And there are things that he's revealing to me as I'm studying his word that it's like, wow, that I've never seen before. I've mentioned, and um, we do the different Bible reading things, but one of, the blessed, one of the best things I've done in my life is there's a, uh, and we did, started last year, Through the Word is a Bible app, and they literally give a commentary on every chapter of the Bible. And literally, it takes, so if you were to go through the entire Bible with them, it's a four-year process to get through. And, so, and for some people, that's really long and hard, but I have not, I, I've been in the Bible a long time. I've been to Bible college. I've done all those different things. I have learned so much in, just in the past year and a half of doing this that I, it's, and that's the thing with the Bible. The Bible, it's an amazing book. You're never going to learn it all. There's more and more, and this is the thing. If you need more grace in your life and you need more peace in your life, it's already there. You just need to know the God that gives you the peace and the grace. Our daughter has got, lately she's been, there's been some things that scare her a little bit. And so we've let her, she puts her little bed and she sleeps in our bedroom right now. It's nothing to make fun of or anything like that, but she's scared. She finds peace and comfort being close to mom and dad. But that's how it is for us in life. We're scared and you could find your grace and peace with your heavenly father but your knowledge of him needs to grow so you can see that and sometimes the trials we go through in life help us with our knowledge of him a lot that can be said about that and so we look here this morning and we see that we need to realize who we are and number two you got to know your standing and then number three you got to live it out so how do we live it out well look at what the bible says look at verse three and four we're almost done this morning it says, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these he might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, if we look at this real close, we kind of see what we need to do. So we see the fact, if we're going to live it out, letter A, you need to live through God's power. So we see the fact that his divine power, that's the Holy Spirit of God, hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Do you know this morning, if you're a child of God and the Spirit of God is inside of you, you have all you need in your life to be a success in the Christian life. Do you know that? You need nothing else. 
You don't need a self-help book. You need nothing else. You have the Lord. Now, I'm not against you using, I'm not against those things. But what I'm saying is, in all reality, you have been given by the Spirit of God when you get saved everything you need to live a godly Christian life. You have everything you need. That's, you need nothing else. You might want a lot of other things, but you have no more needs. The need is all, all things are taken care of. And as we look at that, and we see that we have everything that we need today. And notice it's past tense. Do you see it there? Has, you see there, hath given us all things. It's already been done. Think about Romans 8, verse 32. It says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He's given you all things that you need for the Christian life. And that's why we could sing a song this morning, Complete in Thee, because we're complete in Him and in Jesus Christ. So what we have to do is we need to live through the Spirit's power. And look what it says, According as His divine power hath given to us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through what? Through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. What do we need to have knowledge of? all the promises he's given us in his word. Verse number four. So number two, we see that we need to remember God's promises. But how are you going to know God's promises if you don't spend time in God's book? You won't know the promises. And so we look, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. A lot of big words used there. And when we look at those things, God's promises are exceeding great and they're precious. The word great is, has the root word megas, which means exceedingly outstanding. And precious means prized or valuable. You put them together and you really could say that God's promises are mega magnificent is what they are. They're beyond imagination. You need the Spirit of God working in your life. You need to remember God's promises, which comes by knowing His book. And then lastly... Just partner with God. Let him lead. Look at the end of the verse. That you might be partakers. Partake means to share of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, let's look at this and think real hard. I know we're at the end of the message and you're not wanting to think anymore. Or some of you are like, it's Sunday. It's not my day to think. You can think real quick with me. Is this written to unsaved people or saved people? Saved. That's clear from verse number one. So it is saying here that, so you look, it says, whereby are given us great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So does that mean as a believer that there's corruption and bad things I can get into in this world? Yes. How can we escape, miss them, stay clear of them? How can we escape them? By letting the Holy Spirit of God work in our lives and letting Him share in the journey that we go through, through the promises that are given in God's Word. Because this is the thing, when the tough times come, the first thing that comes into our mind is we start doubting. When the devil throws fear, we talked about fear last week, some fear paralyzes faith. 
So when we think on that and we think deeply on that, it's like that song that was sang during the offer, don't be afraid. And when the, when the world says it's over, the world doesn't know our God. They don't know the promises that our God has. And the master says, no, I've just begun. Because you've got to keep those, those promises are precious. I'm going to encourage a lot of you in this room, I don't know if you have one or not, they have promise Bibles out there or just has the promises of God, I would pick up one of those and just read through the promises of God. Now, be careful when you look at, there are over 7,000 promises in the Word of God. Some were made to certain people. That doesn't mean they're just for you, you know, and they might not, they might be an Old Testament one that doesn't even, it was an Israel promise. But there are lots of promises that apply. Pick up the Word of God, know those promises. But you see how he's laying a foundation here about knowing the things of God. And then next week, you'll see how it all ties together. Father, I thank you for the time that we've had in your word this morning. I'm thankful for the book of Second Peter. I pray that you'd help us realize who we are, know where we stand, and then live it out.